This is Franchise Today, brought to you by FRM Solutions, providers of the best-in-class software solutions for franchise relationship management. Franchise Today is your destination for weekly information, conversations, and interviews with accomplished industry leaders, all of whom share best practices for sustainable growth and sensible franchising. Here now, your host, Stan Friedman, to kick off this week's podcast. Today is Wednesday, April 22nd, and this is Franchise Today, marking week six of coming to you from the bunker here in Marietta, Georgia. I'm Stan Friedman, still healthy and encouraged by the fact that we're one week closer to the new normal and what seems to be a phased reopening of the American economy. We'll be joined in just a few minutes by Matt Haller, Senior Vice President of Government Relations and Public Affairs at the International Franchise Association, as he shares his take on where things stand in D.C., and moreover, where they're heading, as pertains to COVID-19, the government, and our interests in franchising. First, though, thanks again to last week's guests, Jason Anderson, president of United Franchise Group's Venture X, Chris Leibier, chief strategist at Revel Point of Sale, and Franchise Today's sponsor and co-CEO at Transitive, Christian Pillett. All were here last week updating the delivery of the session that we all facilitated at the IFA convention just a couple months ago on big data and the digital tsunami, since the onset of corona has so dramatically changed all of our lives in so many ways. That interview, along with hundreds of others, is available for download at Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, Tune in in virtually any place that podcasts are found. So, a lot has happened in the past two weeks as pertains to the government stimulus and legislation. And right after this quick break, Matt Haller, Senior VP of Government Relations and Public Affairs at the IFA, will be here to join us and talk about all of that and more. Franchise Today will be right back. But first, a word from our sponsors. Hey, Stan Friedman here with a word about transitive an amazing marketing platform that actually delivers what others can only imagine, accurate, dependable results that are second to none. All right, without getting too deep into the weeds, Transitive connects franchisees' customer data from all sources, providing high-octane fuel for their marketing engines. They then deploy machine learning, yes, artificial intelligence, which identifies various customer traits and habits, attributes that would otherwise likely go unnoticed, and it segments these customers into groups. This is important because, as we know, not all customers provide your franchisees with equal dollar value. But wouldn't it be great if they could easily identify who's who? Well, that's exactly what Transitive does. And what's more, it then accurately drives the appropriate offers to each of those customer groups, delivering specific personalized messages to each of the group's customers. Just like that, your franchisees are engaged in laser-focused target marketing, delivering them much more bang for the buck. You've got to see it to believe it, so what are you waiting for? Order up a demo today and tell them I sent you. Find them online at www.transitive.io. That's www.transitive.io. Matt Haller has been the man behind the man at IFA for nearly 10 years, first for Steve Caldera and more recently for Robert Crisante. Matt is the man who monitors and protects the brand of franchising at the federal and state legislative levels. Today, Matt joins us to share updates on the impact that the government actions and in some cases inactions have had on IFA members and various market sectors within franchising. Matt Haller, welcome to Franchise Today. Thanks, Dan. Good to be with you. I don't know how many times 
I've had Steve Caldera or I've had Robert Crisante more recently on the podcast talking big picture IFA. I don't think I've ever asked you. And for that, I want to apologize because you're a guy who has a lot to share. Oh, thanks, Dan. The guy behind the guy. There you go. <laughs> but usually the guy behind the guy is the one who moves the chips. So apologies for not doing it sooner, but I'm happy to have you with us today. And Matt, I'm going to open the same way I do every week by asking you to share with the audience what it was about your career in franchising that caused an inflection point. How did you find franchising? How did franchising find you? That's a more appropriate question. Yeah, that's that is the, the way that it found me. Uh, I was at two other trade associations doing similar jobs to what I do now at IFA, obviously more junior in my career, but was at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce for about five years. And then I was at a pharmaceutical trade association for about two years. And you know, I wasn't super passionate about the, the healthcare and pharmaceutical space and was looking around for other opportunities. Victoria Adams, who used to run FranPAC at IFA, had told me that the time Steve Caldera and the board had approved a new position at IFA to sort of sit in between government relations and communications and really a public affairs role. And that was really something I was passionate about doing. Didn't know the first lick about franchising other than, you know, I was a big fan of fast food, but knew I would excel at it. And trade associations like IFA have great members, you know, the franchisor, franchisee, and in particular the supplier side that are willing to teach staff the, the expertise they need to go advocate on their behalf. And, you know, that's how it found me. And, you know, Jack Earl was the chairman of the IFA board at the time and had been working closely with a friend of mine. His daughter had been working closely with a friend of mine, excuse me, in DC. And so I had a relationship that I was able to create there. And I guess I was one of the finalists and ultimately got the gig. So, you know, here we are nine plus years later, you know, lots changed in the industry, but some of the, the people uh, a lot like, are still around and that's the best part about this this world is the relationships with the people in the industry. And that's also one of the most important things about the work that, that we do on the government relations and advocacy side in DC is, you know, having relationships for times like, like today, like the coronavirus, where you can't literally be in front of somebody's face at a fundraiser or an event or lobbying them in the halls of Congress. And so being able to pick up the phone or text somebody or email them and not have to start a relationship, but leverage that existing relationship is really what it's all about. So a lot of similarities in franchising and in the advocacy world. Why don't you spend a few minutes explaining to the audience some of the ins and outs of the world that you live in and the role that you play and what it is that to be sitting in the senior VP of government relations and public affairs means to the franchisors and franchisees and even the executives that are listening today. Because I look at you as a front line. You're like a lieutenant colonel or a general to me. You know, you're the front line of franchising, protecting the brand of franchising. And we say that, but I don't know that we all really understand what it is that you and the team do to impact that. Yeah. Thanks, Dan. It's about distilling what is the industry's most pressing needs today, but also where are the needs going to be a couple of months or even years down the line and coalescing that around ideally one thing in this era, it's, it's many things. And then, you know, marshalling a uh, communications, lobbying, and you know, advocacy campaign in support of that objective, um, and sometimes in opposed to somebody else's objective, which is what we've been doing a lot for the last several years. But also doing it within the what's pragmatic and what's politically feasible too. So those are all of the sort of macro elements that go into you know how do we how do we decide hey we're going to go advocate for joint employer relief in a in a pragmatic way that only helps franchises or we're going to decide to 
look for a carve out from Assembly Bill 5 that helps franchises. You know, now we need to develop policies that help provide relief to the most affected businesses, which are many of our members in this time of forced government shutdowns and, you know, keep employees connected to the payrolls of their employers, but also keep the businesses afloat too. So it's a lot of listening and then a lot of translating that listening into, you know, pragmatic and executable public affairs and lobbying campaigns that works. So any of those policies that we had been working on, no matter what we thought our business plans looked like, all of that went away and changed. And I want to ask you to, we're going to segment some of our conversation today. I'd love for you to share first what some of the immediate information, most current information would be that's available to you in terms of the tranches of relief that the government has been trying to provide with the PPP and some of the other programs right now. And where we are with that, what you see is coming next. We are speaking today, two days before airtime. So between now and Wednesday, we we don't know what might change even as quickly as that. But Matt, give us a, a thumbnail of where it is we are, where you think it's going to be heading here in the immediate, and then we'll talk more in depth about what you see further out now based on all the changes and what we've lived through here in the last many weeks in sequester. Sure. So last month, Congress passed the CARES Act, and one of the principal aspects of the CARES Act was the development of the Payroll Protection Program, which was 300 $50 billion of money that was made available to businesses with 500 or fewer employees, some exceptions, um, including for franchisees and restaurant and hospitality companies who could, pro- could apply for and obtain government-guaranteed loans with essentially, in their mind, full forgiveness to keep employees connected to their payroll. So think of it as an alternative to unemployment insurance with some flexibility for the business owner to apply some of those funds towards other expenses like rent or utilities or um, other debt obligations. So that passed last month, like I said, and uh, within less than two weeks, all of the $350 billion of funds for the payroll protection program had been exhausted. So that happened on Thursday. And last Monday, before the funds had been exhausted, Senate Republicans uh, and the administration put a bill on the floor to authorize an additional $250 billion to that program. And they did that because everybody knew that the $350 billion was insufficient. And unfortunately, there were objections made by House Speaker Pelosi and Senate Democrats who wanted other funding requests to be made as well in conjunction with the PPP fund. So they wanted money for cities and states who have been affected by this as well. They wanted more money for hospitals and testing. And so what we ended up in is a negotiation rather than pumping more money into PPP immediately. And unfortunately, what happened is that negotiation is still ongoing. And as of now, 1045 in the morning on Monday, April 20th, we have what appears to be a verbal agreement on 90% of a deal, but we don't have a bill. We don't have an exact timing for a vote in the Senate or the House. And so it looks like um, by the time this airs on Wednesday, funds will still not be replenished. The House isn't even back in session until Wednesday. So certainly no funds will go out in the PPP until at least Thursday of this week at the soonest. This money that was being offered up for the payroll and for other expenses that were directly relevant to the business, those were originally said to be 10-year loans of with up to 4% interest. Didn't that change dramatically when the guidance was issued? Yeah, it's one of the most frustrating parts about policymakers, and people saw it firsthand. And I think for some people really realize the influence that 
the regulatory process has in discretion. So the CARES Act set forth guidelines for the PPP, and one of the guidelines was loans could be uh, up to 10 years and up to 4% interest rate. And unfortunately, when the Treasury issued regulation for lenders and borrowers a couple days after the CARES Act passed, this was one of the major things that made the PPP much less attractive for both borrowers and lenders. Certainly on our side, we're the borrower side. So the, the loan term, you know, being shortened from a maximum of 10 years to now only two years, really, really sort of tighten the screws on franchisees' ability to pay back these loans. Because most people recognize that even if the coronavirus goes away and we're able to reopen the economy this spring or summer, which is a whole other conversation to be had, business as quote unquote normal is not going to return for some time. So I think everybody recognizes that cash flow challenges are going to be an issue for a significant amount of time. And most franchisees are already sitting on lots of debt. And the requirement to pay back these loans, if you're not getting a full forgiveness within two years, is going to be a real, real challenge. So how do you see that playing out? Are there any chances for other amendments to that guidance? Or is that the way that the die has been cast and it can't be changed? No, there's some real frustration in the Congress about some of the handcuffs that the Treasury and SBA put on the use of these funds and the loan term is is just one. Another has to do with the requirement that only 25% of the PPP funds can be spent on non-payroll related expenses. For franchisees, payroll is only 30 to 40% in most cases. So you know that puts a real tough decision onto franchisees who want to get their loans forgiven, but also need to keep the enterprise afloat. And so changing that ratio to maybe 50% payroll versus non-payroll would be helpful. And Congress has announced they will be doing a phase four, um, which will include some technical corrections to the phase three, which is the CARES Act. And those two issues are two of about five that we'd like to see repaired in the overall structure of the PPP as the program evolves. And we think will be extended beyond the June 30th uh, date, at least for affected industries. I think that's one of the other areas that there's real frustration out there is that lots of healthy businesses were able to take out PPP loans. And, you know, there's also been a lot of talk about the, the quote unquote big businesses taking out PPP loans. There's been a lot of reporting about Ruth Chris Steakhouse and Potbelly and some other fairly prominent um, restaurant franchisors taking out PPP loans. And, you know, not going to comment on, on that. I think, you know, Congress recognized that as long as businesses are taking care of work, There are certain industries that have been uniquely affected, including restaurants. But the fact that healthy businesses are able to take out PPP loans without even having to demonstrate that there's any economic harm related to the coronavirus, and lots of our members are still on the outside waiting for funding, is a real frustration. And there needs to be more guardrails in place regarding how you qualify and making a a determination that you have had a significant hit to your bottom line as a result of either mandated government closures or you know, other situations that warrant shutting down your operation. Matt, is there any consideration being given in some of the money that's being made available to make certain circumstances more available for businesses like health clubs and fitness that are completely 100% closed? I think restaurants, for the most part, are struggling, but at least they've got a window to operate.
operate through as compared to others in the franchise space that have just been shut out of business all over the world? Yeah, it's a point that I bring up almost every time I talk to a policymaker or a staff member. Also because, look, those industries have, you know, really strong trade associations, the restaurants and the hotels, the gyms and the salons and some of the service-related franchises that operate in all sorts of different uh, verticals, whether it's landscaping or home planning or cleaning, they really don't have their own associations. And those are some of the most active and engaged brands with IFA. And so while we're not saying, you know, restaurants and hotels don't deserve relief, and as you correctly state, you know, the restaurant model is wide ranging. I mean, companies like Domino's and Pizza Hut are delivering like gangbusters and in some cases are hiring additional employees at franchisees locations. So they're doing great. And others can supplement with delivery and takeout, third party delivery, but you can't deliver a haircut to somebody's house. I can personally attest to that because my wife uh, gave me a trim yesterday. Uh, <laughs> and so those are businesses that are heavily franchised, very active in IFA. We're making sure that there's eligibility is not impacted by virtue of this program. And so the, the other thing that, that we saw is there are a number of franchisees who operate with brands who have never been on the SBA franchise registry. And that's created a huge issue for those brands and their franchisees to even get access to the PPP program or the other emergency disaster loan programs through the SBA, because that's the definition by which the um, CARES Act and the guidance is applying eligibility. So even though there's these exceptions for larger businesses and franchisees in terms of loan size, if you're not on the SBA directory, you're completely shut out from anything. And so we've been pushing the agencies and there's a lot of frustration in Congress, make sure that the intent of the CARES Act, which was to allow anybody operating a franchise model, regardless of size, to take advantage of PPP and EIDL um, to clear that up. So that's something else we'll be pushing for in the technical bill. But unfortunately, that's not going to even happen until at least the first week of May. And so obviously, that's a ways off um, two weeks or so from now, and people are making decisions in the real world. So it's, it, the anxiety is palpable, and I feel for our members um, who are who are struggling right now. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back from that break, I want to ask you to look out over the immediate circumstances and times that we are in and start talking a little about what you think may be coming over the next couple of horizons as government starts to reopen again. And best case, worst case, what can we expect for the new normal as I don't think it's yet been defined, but I'd love to get your input as to what you see coming and how. So let's take a quick break and we'll be right back with Matt Haller, Senior Vice President of of Government Relations and Public Affairs for the International Franchise Association. Franchise Today will be right back, but first, a word from our sponsors. This portion of Franchise Today is brought to you by Zoracle, providers of spot-on profiles, the gold standard of assessment tools that assure you're selecting the right franchisees every time. Unlike DISC or others that simply gauge personality or communication styles, Zoracle's spot-on assessments are all franchise-specific and based upon seven sciences that nail the results each and every time. Your prospects simply answer a few questions online, and like magic, Zoracle's algorithms scientifically slice, dice, and analyze their thresholds for risk, their business acumen, and even their propensity for single or multi-unit ownership. Zoracle's spot-on analysis is like having a crystal ball. But there's no hoodoo here. It's all based upon science that flawlessly determines franchisee, franchisor compatibility, and accurately predicts performance. Why don't you schedule a demo today? 
and take a complimentary look and see for yourself. It's the closest thing to a sure thing. Zoracle, spot on assessments based on science, but delivering results that seem simply magical. Check them out at www.zoracleprofiles.com. And we are back with Matt Haller, Senior VP of Government Relations and Public Affairs at the IFA. I don't think that you could ever be prepared for the position that you've been placed in over these last many weeks, Matt. What do you see coming down the pike beyond the immediate? So we kind of know where we are right now. We know that the president has a task force on the health side, and he's just initiated a second task force on the economic side, which I'm happy to hear that Robert Crisante, CEO at IFA, has a seat at the table. Where do you think that's going to go? And how quickly do the works that they do impact us in any way positive? Yeah, it's going to move quickly. Obviously, there's there's a major, you don't have to look any further than their press conferences on a daily basis to see where they want to move this and reopening the economy. Obviously, politically speaking, they view the economy reopening as part of the message that they will be able to sell in November to the public. And people are going to have their own perspective about the president. I think we all agree that getting the economy reopened is hugely important, but also the public is going to need to feel safe and secure in order for them to go back to restaurants or hair salons or even have, you know, home services franchises come into their their homes or near their families and perform the services they need to perform. So, you know, we were fortunate to be named to this economic revival task force by President Trump last week. There's about 16 IFA member brand CEOs also as part of that task force, largely concentrated in hotels and restaurants, but the UPS CEO is uh, part of that. Obviously, the UPS store is very involved. Charles Schwab is a member of IFA. They're also involved. And so what Robert and I are doing is trying to ascertain what is the thing that the franchise business model can bring to that conversation. And I think it's very simple. The model, through its focus on maintaining brand standards that are replicable and scalable with safety standards and operating systems and large-scale employee training, is uniquely suited to help lead not only the revival of the economy, but also ensuring exactly what the consuming public is going to need to build their trust, which is these places that we're going to patronize with our family and friends are safe places to go or safe uh, have mechanisms in place to ensure that they're safe if they need to come into our home. And so that's the unique role of franchising in this recovery is delivering that message um, to the administration, have the administration deliver that message you know, to the public, and then have our brands and their franchisees and our supplier partners working as so many already are in designing what is the new normal for whether it's a restaurant or a hair salon or you know, a massage studio or a hotel or you name it to make sure that that place is complying with the new rules of the road for operating in a post-COVID environment. And how do we do that in a way that's not overly restrictive for the operations of a business and that there aren't regulations put in place that don't provide the flexibility for businesses to adapt. So that's a little bit of a, a lens on the president's revival task force and the role that IFA and our members think we can play in that, that hopefully your your listeners can empathize with. And I'm sure many are already thinking about how to deploy that in their own system. What about the fall and the fan programming and all the things that IFA does to keep the voice of franchising in front of the legislative powers that be? We're going to lose a lot of traction on that this year, it would seem to me, because unless something radical happens between now and then, I can't imagine 
that that program is going to be happening in 2020, or can you give us an update on that? Well, we're looking at all our events, you know, on a week-to-week basis. Fan meeting is middle of September, and I think even if it did happen, it would be very different. We haven't made a call as to that event won't happen or not as of yet, but I'll just say, you know, our advocacy has been through the roof over the last six weeks, literally just since the latest fan alert went out on Thursday regarding additional PPP funding. We've had more than 6,500 people take action, sending more than 20,000 letters to Capitol Hill just in the in the last 72 hours. So I think advocacy, according to Phone to Action, which is the platform we use, is up 90% during the coronavirus in America. And so people are advocating and IFA is already thinking about ways to do digital events, virtual fly-ins, are something that we have are already looking at. We've done more than 30 calls with senators and representatives in the past four weeks. So there are ways to engage from home if ultimately in-person lobbying is not something that we can do because of restrictions. And also we recognize that you know everybody's travel budget is going to be significantly depleted. And DC is not a cheap place to come fly to. And I think our members are all going to be in very different places come September. And so we're going to be flexible. But But regardless of what it looks like, you know, you can be damn sure that we're pushing our message forward and being as aggressive as we've ever been um, and advocating for our members' interests. IFA has been phenomenal over these past many weeks with webinar series and mustering talent to perform on those and to provide information on a not even a daily basis, some days multiple times per day. Hats off for whoever's coordinating all of that. Matt, I want to look further out beyond the fall. If all of this goes away, if best case scenario, let's just say COVID, we've pushed it back so hard and flatten the line so hard that it never wants to show us its ugly face again. Let's just say if the worst is already behind us and we come through this now on an uphill trajectory, what's the rest of this year look like to you? And what's the beginning of next year look like to you? How much collateral damage is done that we can or cannot recover from in your point of view? Yeah, well, obviously we've got an election in November, so that's going to largely shape what the what the political environment is and who's calling the shots in DC and in the state capitals around the country and it's anybody's guess how that looks I think it was anybody's guess even before the coronavirus um, the political environment is kind of stuck right now you know the last week or so we've got a little bit of a return to kind of normal politics of Republicans bashing Nancy Pelosi and Nancy Pelosi bashing President Trump so that's going to be an element of whatever the new normal looks like and but I think you know one of the things we've been wondering about is does this recovery look anything like the last recovery after 2008, 2009. And for a lot of franchisors, they saw short-term economic pain by their existing franchisees, but also saw an upswing in people that lost their jobs in corporate America who had decent nest eggs in their 401ks and other savings, decide to take a look at franchising as maybe the last part of their career. And so it'll be interesting to see how brands position for that or if that materializes. The stock market obviously has recovered nicely after some initial scares there. In the, in the fir- in in March um, in early April, so I, I think that'll be one thing to look at. But I think one of the questions, you know, a lot of brands are not just in franchising, but across the board are, are looking at is, you know, what are you doing today to give back and to show what you can be doing now to maintain and even build, you know, additional consumer trust as a brand that somebody wants to affiliate themselves with on the consumer side of the franchising side on the other side of this. And I mean, our franchising gets back program has been highlighting a lot of these things to policymakers and with the media. And I know a lot of brands are doing this as well and themselves, which is phenomenal. And so, you know, I think people, 
people will remember the brands that stood up and did unique things and reinvented themselves during this worldwide crisis. And so I think that's something else to be mindful of and be watching for, because um, there's no telling where the economy is going to go or where the political winds are going to go. But if you can build that connection with people now, when they need it most, it's going to be really important and pay dividends long term. The one last place I wanted to go, Matt, was to ask if you see any tea leaves that you can read as to how private equities behavior in franchising may be impacted or influenced by this moment in time. Do you see private equity changing their view of franchising or do you see them doubling down? Do you see them making changes at all? Well, there's, as you know, there's already been a, a huge influx of private capital over the last decade or so. Um, I do think that you know there's going to be brands that don't make it on the other side of this. There were already going to be brands that were struggling you know, to stay afloat in normal times. And I think you were already sustaining yourself only on new franchise sales and not through a loyalty model. I think that's obviously going to only exacerbate your challenges going forward. And I think there'll probably be more more money in private capital available. But I think, you know, anybody that's looking to invest is going to take a little bit more of a cautious approach to see how brands emerge coming out of this in terms of can your existing units generate revenue. So that's just that's just one person's take. Matt, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you wished that I would have? Well, you, you made a plug for the IFA's webinar series and lots of our other content. Um, that's all available at franchise.org backslash coronavirus and encourage folks to take a look at that. We've got two or three sessions a day sometimes on various topics for franchisors and franchisees and suppliers. And then if you haven't gotten involved already in our advocacy efforts, I encourage you to do that. It's simple to do. Go to franchiseactionnetwork.com where you can just text franchise help, all capital letters in one word to the number 52886 and get connected with the fan network and your member of Congress and advocate for more PPP, more PPP money and some of these technical fixes that we talked about. Any contact information you'd be willing to share, Matt, so that those who've listened today and may want to reach back out to you personally have an opportunity to do so? Sure. The email is mhaller, that's M-H-A-L-L-E-R, at franchise.org. Matt, I appreciate it. You're a busy, busy man right now. And so thank you for sharing and thank you for caring. And really, thank you for being there. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for helping us get the message out. It's really, um, really a huge value to IFA and what all the staff's doing right now. Be safe and stay healthy. And, and hopefully I can say, see you around sooner than later. Likewise. Thanks, Dan. Same to you. You bet. Well, as I said at the top of the show, hopefully we're one week closer to seeing this virus peak and America reopening for business. Keep doing your part to beat this virus down so hard that we never have to deal with it again. Next week, we're joined by the iconic Shelly Sun, former IFA chair, undercover boss, speaker, author, and founder and CEO of Bright Star Franchising. Until then, please stay safe and continue doing the best that you can. I'm Stan Friedman wishing you the best, the very best of all things franchising, and Franchise Today is out. Franchise Today is a production of FRM Solutions, providing best-in-class CRM tools to empower relationships with prospective and existing franchisees. No excuses, just solutions. Find them online at frmsolutions.com. Join Stan every Wednesday at noon Eastern for another live episode of Franchise Today. Or, as always, download episodes on demand at blogtalkradio.com or iTunes.